0: Welcome to Scotscast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church Melbourne. Since Ipswich Grandma Violene White was stabbed to death in an Aldi car park a couple of weeks back, there's been a huge public outcry. The Queensland government just can't get it right. Too soft on youth crime, too slow in banning the sales of machetes and knives. Not serious enough about bail conditions. On Tuesday, the anti-crime campaigner, Ben Cannon, said this. He said, this is an urgent issue. There is so much red tape. As a community, he said, we want actions, we want outcomes. If you want to muck up, does a community expect you to get locked up? He said, when will the government realise that as a community, we want good, good, separated from bad? Now, in a sense, he's right, isn't he? Though, if only it were that easy. As youth violence seems to reign unchecked, there's a growing sense of despair, there's a longing perhaps for somehow things to be put right, for bad to be pushed aside. Good and evil safely separated. But how? That's the issue at the very heart of this most famous of Bible stories that runs from Genesis chapter 6 to 9, the story of Noah and his ark. A story that transcends cultures, a story that pops up in the ancient legends of a whole range of ancient civilizations around the world. The Babylonian Gilgamesh epic, for one, one man in his Unlikely boat building project, the original animal conservationist maintaining the one spark of life in the midst of destruction. If you're here as a bit of a skeptic this morning, welcome. I'm sure you'll be right in your element. It's funny you'll find Noah and his two by two animals are in kids' books and in toy shops everywhere. There's a guy at the front of the Queen Vic market with a wooden version where you can pick and choose your own favourite animals at about 20 bucks a time, which if I was buying for my grandkids would make for a very sparse hug. Though ultimately, and you can talk to me about ancient Near Eastern parallels later, or you can quiz me on whether it's a global or a local flood, but here's the key principle to keep in mind when you do. That the literature we're looking at here, the narrative has it's shaped in the ancient Israelite scriptures, it might make for a good kid story, but it's full of what you could call authorial intention. It's deliberate. That while there are similarities to the Babylonian story of petty gods who decide to destroy humanity with a flood, because there are too many noisy parties. The biblical version knows those stories and very deliberately maps out a much bigger cultural disagreement about the nature of God and humanity, about the nature of good and evil, about the essence of the real problem which is a problem of the human heart, the center of our motives. That's the story that's been developing since Genesis 1, if you've been with us, where God made everything and gave life with his spirit-charged breath. And everything was good. And man and woman in his image are very good. Until you'll remember, if you've been with us, there's this huge temptation in the garden to grab on to the fruit of knowing good and evil for ourselves, and they take it. In spite of the fact that God said it was his role alone to decide right from wrong, and they eat it and find themselves naked and ashamed as God looks for them in the garden. Now, it's a simple story in a way. If God is the source of all good in chapter 1, what is it that you're actually choosing if you decide to know good and evil yourself? From chapter 3, everything starts to devolve towards destruction and death and desolation. Until we come to the family line of Seth in chapter 5, that seems to be full of promise. It's a line that that leads to Noah, whose name means, he will bring us rest. That dream may be, of a world where good will be separated from bad once and for all. But I wonder, you see, how you would ever really do that. Especially when you take on board the picture of the world that you get at the start of our reading from Genesis chapter 6. Because here's the problem. Here's where it's got to. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he'd made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. See, it is fundamentally a heart problem. Here's where it's got to from that one decision in the garden to know good and evil for ourselves, to each set ourselves up as the ultimate arbiters of right and wrong. Have you tried that? There are all kinds of reasons it won't work. But the main reason is, it set us the whole moral universe on you, your particular moral preference. Which turns out not to be a moral preference at all, Just an inclination to what's most comfortable for you, what's most enjoyable to you, what's to your advantage. No matter how much the expense to everyone else. Which leads you see in the end to that scenario in verse 5 that the wickedness of man is great on the earth. Because wicked deeds always come from the heart every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil all the time. What's in it for me? Every decision made on the basis of that one simple question. Only evil all the time. Except for Noah, who finds favour in the eyes of God, as you'll see in verses 8 and 9 the one man among men who's blameless in his generation, who, who like his great-grandfather Enoch, walks with God. The verdict is there again in verses 11 and 12. Everything else is corrupt. We're told that three times. And because of that, the whole earth is filled with violence, knives, knives, Clubs, guns, bombs, murder, war. So God says to Noah in verse 13, I'm going to end what I started because of all the violence. Look at his words. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I'll destroy them with the earth. I'm going to wash it clean. I'm going to decreate my creation and start again with you, Noah. So here's where the famous story kicks in. Make yourself a big wooden box. He gives all the dimensions. Just a box doesn't really look like the toy boats at all. He says make rooms in it, waterproof it with tar, bring in pairs of all the animals because I'm going to take my breath of life away from everything except for you and the ones you gather around you. And I will make a new star, a whole new covenant with you. Now, if you are lucky enough to be the designated tech support person in your family or in your office, you'll know there are two basic lines of approach to sort out any computer problem. First, what did you find when you Googled it? Which is just a rude way of saying fix it yourself. Second approach, if you want to be a real IT expert, and if you're an older person with a computer at home, you should take note of this and save yourself a phone call to the grandkids next time. Did you try turning it off, and then on again? See, that's the way our story's unfolding. God is going to hit the reset button. He's going to turn it off, then on again. And so Noah, in verses 19 to 22, is told to gather in two of every kind of animal, It's kind of a life raft for the new creation. If you are a literary type, there are all kinds of echoes here of chapter 1. A list of all the animal categories, birds, animals, creeping things, all according to their kinds to be preserved. Exactly the same wording back in chapter 1. In verse 18, the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the face of the waters, which is a very specific undoing of what God did in the creation in chapter one, holding back the waters to create dry land. Now the opposite. Blots it out. Washes it clean. Creation is decreated and only the righteous remain noah who we're told three times is the one who does what the lord commanded him so here he is safely in the hand of god in the midst of watery chaos all around him covered in the ark by god himself Chapter 7, verse 11, interesting, today is almost the perfect day to be preaching on this passage. Did you notice? In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were open, and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. It all breaks loose on the 17th of February, which was yesterday as it happens. So today we would be in the first full day of life in that tar smelling, wet animal smelling, dung smelling, dusty dungeon of the ark. It's not a pleasure cruise, but safe from God's judgment on the constant evil and violence and self-centeredness in the world that he created to be good. What a huge cost. When every inclination of every human heart is only to do evil all the time. Friends, here's what it looks like to separate good from bad. Takes more than a government, it takes more than a few new laws Everything, everyone washed away. Then the turning point, chapter 8, God remembers Noah and his animal crew on the boat. It's time to restart. Drying out the land, the ark uncovered, the animals swarming and multiplying and refilling the earth, told to be fruitful and multiply on the earth, just like Adam was in the beginning this one family lifeline of hope in the midst of devastation. This is a new creation. And Noah now builds an altar and offers burnt offerings to the Lord. Though, here's an odd thing. Given that the whole story started with a heart problem, with a humanity whose hearts were only evil all the time, there's a disappointing hint straight away that nothing's really changed. God turned it off then on again and it seems there's still exactly the same problem as we started off with. Verse 21. Strangely disappointing. But also strangely these astonishing words of grace. I'll never again curse the ground. I'll never again send a flood like that because... Implicitly, that won't fix the root cause of the problem, which is the human heart. Our intentional inclination to be number one, whatever it costs, no matter what. Again, a dark picture of our human predicament and confirmed by the weird little turn of events that plays out then in chapter 9. Noah, being fruitful, becomes a man of the land, plants a vineyard. What could possibly go wrong? Well, he drinks too much. He ends up exactly like Barnaby Joyce last week, lying drunk on a Canberra footpath. Although in Noah's case, naked, and no prescription drugs to blame it on. Now again, friends, if you're reading this like a good reader of narrative, there are clues. If you turn back a few chapters, and you, you can check it later, Adam and Eve, do you remember? Naked and ashamed. Didn't start out that way. but Now ashamed after eating the fruit hiding in the garden from God. That's when the shame comes. If you needed any confirmation that even after washing the face of the world, we're not back in Eden again, we're not in a place where you can be naked and unashamed, Noah's son Ham sees him naked and puts up a photo on social media. Ham finds his dad drunk and naked And he calls in his brothers for a laugh. Shameful. But Shem and Japheth, the other brothers, want to cover the shame of their father rather than highlight it. And so they ever so awkwardly back into the tent without looking at him and cover him up with a garment. Which again you might recall is exactly what God did for Adam and Eve in the garden. which after it's all said and done, reminds us again that even after the flood, that great de-creation event, we're not back in a pure, unspoiled creation, but stuck with the same set of human heart problems, the same inclinations, the same shame as we had before. Now, Long story. What about us? See, Ben Cannon wants a government that can separate the good from the bad. And none of us are against that. But it's a bigger problem, isn't it? Because in the famous words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, that line between good and bad... It's a line that runs right through the heart of every one of us. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel looked forward to better days. He was looking for a new covenant, better than the covenant with Noah. Not of sacrifices and laws, but of new desires, new hearts. Renewed people moved by God's Spirit. That was Ezekiel's hope, but in the meantime, Israelite ritual was full of washing laws and food laws. This is clean, that's not that they thought would keep them somehow pure. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they are shocked that the disciples of Jesus eat without ceremonially washing their hands. And Jesus says the famous words you might be able to see on the screen. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. They defile a person. It's not what goes into us that's the problem. It's what comes out of us, from the heart. Out of our hearts, from our inmost desires, come all those things Violence, so often is our first resort to solving things. Things that make us ashamed, or should. Those things are not so easily washed clean, like that famous spot of blood on Lady Macbeth's hand. So what is Jesus going to do about it? Well, the good news is, the New Testament goes on to make clear there actually is a way forward. A way that our nakedness and shame can be covered by the nakedness and shame he endured for us at the cross. His innocence for our guilt. And that then there is the offer of a new start and a new heart gradually reshaped by his spirit. Not finding refuge in a new creation in an ark through Noah, but refuge in a new creation in Christ, which is how the Apostle Paul puts it in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friend that friends, that ultimately is the good news that's on offer. You see something of the world around us in that description of violence and disregard for human life and you're tempted to despair. If you see something of that in yourself and you're tempted to despair. There is the offer of a way forward and a much better new creation. For that, we can only collectively hold our breath in eager anticipation and together point the way forward to it now. You've been listening to Scotscast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church Melbourne.